0: Causing the Effect, a podcast focused on the exploration of your mind, body, and spirit.
1: Dr. Michelle, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I am so excited to talk to you. I feel like we're best friends already. Um, (laughs) Dr. Michelle is like the Florida psychotherapist version of me, except a little bit more, let's just say a little bit more, you know, honored with the schools. I didn't know you had a PhD in conflict resolution. That's like... Like what made Mm -hmm. you what made you want to do that first?
0: Oh yeah, it would be my family of origin.
1: (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Right. (laughs)
0: My my big fat Italian family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Don't don't let the last name fool you, Finnoran. That's not that's not you know, wait, what was the uh the the original?
0: The original, the maiden name is Vecchione.
1: Vecchione, of course. That sounds like a nice
0: Italian dish, you know.
1: My mother, Ma, if you listen to this, listen to you need some conflict dispute PhD's But yeah, um, so
0: conflict resolution. The first the first class in conflict resolution that I remember in my PhD program was called Human Factors. And it was an, an amazing class that really talks about, you know, relationships, even your own relationships and how to improve challenging personalities. It's a book called Dealing with Difficult Personalities. It's an amazing book and it talks about different difficult personalities to kind of work with in a workplace setting in a relationship. It's
1: pretty amazing wow now when you were um like when you were a kid or i I guess you know even a young adult did you feel like were you able to speak up to people because that's kind of a problem i have and i don't know if you're that old like my mother has no problem talking to anybody like just telling you how it is
0: yeah no i have no problem no problem (laughs) Not an issue at all
1: with that. Now, awesome, great. Yeah. Well, this is the Fourth of July edition. If you're listening to this, this is going to be the two couple of days after Fourth of July. So, shout out to all the veterans, all the all the the Americanos out there. And I know Absolutely. you do you do do some work with with those people, right?
0: Yes, I do do I do do work with um, veterans and military personnel. I do work with um, a lot of U.S. Customs Border and Controls. I do work with law enforcement. Um, personnel and uh, police officers, um, paramedics and EMTs and firefighters and nurses. A lot of first responders is made up of my practice, especially, especially during this period. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's like my first question. It's like, how did they particularly, let's start with the cops first. My sister's a cop here in, in NYPD and she's like, she's like you, she's a tough gal. She just rolls right off her shoulder. But for me, it's like I was seemed like I was getting more upset. How did you see the cops? I guess you're talking to mostly Floridians, right? Yes. Um, h- how did that go? How was it for them?
0: It's the the, the climate down here is, is pretty tough. I'm not yeah. going to lie. It, the climate here, the political climate here and the, the law enforcement climate here is tough. You know, um, you have, they have to be super careful with what they're doing now, uh, you know, and rightfully so, because, you know, people it, it takes one one bad egg you know, to ruin a whole thing happening for them. So they have to be super careful with what they say, what they do and be mindful of, you know, how they treat the public.
1: Yeah. I just feel like it's stressful enough, right? Having a gun really on you. Know, like that, yeah, I really, I, I would not be good with a gun because the first person that makes me angry, I'm shooting them. But <laughs> like, like, how do you handle, now this is your thing, right? Conflict resolution. How, how do you handle somebody that maybe a cop? Let's say that, does kind of think a little racially the wrong way or something of, of that nature? That they, they are on the wrong. Is, is that a difficult conversation to have? Like how, how does that
0: It is a difficult conversation to have because of course you're you're what you're trying to do is change someone's perceptions, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's very hard to do because when a, when a, especially there's a certain like alpha um, males. I deal with a lot of alpha male mm. um, police officers, and they have a certain perception of things and the way that they they think it's very hard to shift or maneuver that, especially older veteran cops that have been around for a long time, very difficult and challenging to have and bridge those conversations and communications.
1: I mean, I would think the the older you get, the more set in the ways you get, right, and yes. then you're kind of just like, and I'm sure they've been through some shit. That's like, they're rightfully, so you feel this way. Um, that must be just a, a whole thing. Now for the other end of it, are there people, I'm sure that there's a ton of cops that are just I'm, I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. But I'm getting treated mistreated. because even walking down, you know, my office is across the street from Macy's on 34th Street. And there's people just doing their jobs and they're getting harassed. They're getting pointed at it looks like people yeah. are trying to start trouble. I'm sure it's the same for some of your clients.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, for, for, um, I, I have a couple female cl- cops that are really just having a really tough time in a very male dominated, like your sister would be, mm-hmm. they're having a tough time in, the, in law enforcement officers, you know, just dealing with, um, a, a male dominated, um, career field. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see, I, there, there is a lot of activity. I want to say in Miami, I would say, Um, that are that's going on that's kind of like similar to what you're saying the nitpicking the the provoking gaslighting you know yeah
1: and miami just like even when i went i went a couple weeks ago and that was like four days before that shooting happened and it's just like i i can imagine and it seems a little obviously smaller than new york it's just more maybe more condensed because there was a lot I mean, you guys got the right idea with like what's going on with COVID. Like, it seems normal. Everybody's, you know, master off. That's good, but the violence did seem. Everybody was a little is a little on edge still, even after COVID and everything.
0: I'm telling you right now that this tri county area, the tri county area in South Florida is Palm Beach. Um, we have Broward County, and then we have Miami-Dade, and that's a very it's a very intense area, emotionally heavy area. And, and I can understand why you would go there feeling a little bit on edge intense because the people there are just people here are just very much on edge.
1: I think that's, that's kind of probably, I would think more for all the populated cities, you know, cause I'm in New yes. York and there's just something people are just a little bit less, even, not, even me. Yeah. Even me, I'm walking a little faster. I don't really want to say hello to this person. on the street, that way on the street. I think there's, it's going to take some time to really, I guess, reintegrate, into society. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about. Like, how do you think after, what, 16, 17 months, uh, you know, of social distancing, isolation, alienation, how are you helping people reintegrate? And what are the issues you've seen on your end?
0: The issues that I've seen on my end are usually my, they're my young, my teenagers and then my mm-hmm. 20 year olds having a really, really hard time reintegrating and re-socializing a lot of their socialization has been like this zoom yeah. gaming um texting so st- learning social skills and how to go about having a conversation a face to face conversation i have to reteach that i have to reschool that i have to re- i have to reintegrate that into their lives it's like how to how to go about having a face to face communication with somebody how to initiate a conversation, how to keep a conversation going, how to stay engaged in the conversation. All that stuff needs to be relearned. I'm, re- I'm starting to reteach that with my teens and my 20 year olds.
1: So it's not even that they don't want to, or they think, listen, I could text. It's really that they don't know how.
0: They don't know how. They forgot. They, they forgot. Yeah.
1: Oh, no. That's scary to think about. All these kids that are basically the future. 15 20 whatever um because i'll be honest i I started going back to work the last couple weeks ago three days and it's like not that you know me i'm a talker i I know how to talk right and doing the podcast Mm -hmm. and stuff but like i just like i feel like i found more meaning in other things where it's like i have i don't have that as much time to Mm -hmm. talk to even want to talk to people or be as you know, as nice and I'm trying, I'm having a little bit of a struggle, like reintegrating too. And I can only imagine yeah. what it's like for, for kids now. So what do you, what, what do you tell them? Like, how do you even, would you just have to kind of rep it out? Is it reps?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we, we do a lot of role playing in the, in the session, we do a lot of role playing and, you know, we do a lot of giving examples and, you know, voice to me, what you would say in this situation scenarios, it's almost like, like, uh, scenario talking, um, in different, in the, in the session. And, you know, a, a lot of these, a lot of these kids just, you know, uh, they're not so much on edge. You just don't know how to go about doing it anymore.
1: Wow. is yeah. it More boys or girls? Uh,
0: my hardest clientele are actually 15 year old boys,
1: 15 year old boys. They're the, it,
0: hard, they're the hardest.
1: Is that kind of that testosterone's pumping? It, I, I, I know better than you. Is that what, where yeah, they're coming it, from?
0: kind of like a weird age it's hormonally things are happening there have a little bit of rebellion happening you know there's some slying happening you know there's my, my 15 year old boys are really they're really they're having a hard time
1: what are they doing with their time because i can only imagine when you're 15 years old what you are doing in a house for 18 months is it just video games and
0: yes it is just video games it's just video it's just texting youtube it's- YouTube, um, maybe, maybe some Netflix. Um, but, uh, you know, honestly, it's just, it's, it's not a whole lot of face to face interaction at all. And a lot of the parents, a lot of the parents didn't feel really comfortable, you know, obviously letting their kids go out um, in, a, in a public setting. So the parents were also had, I had, you know, with this whole pandemic, I also had to, I felt like I had to reparent the, the parent, how to parent in this type of situation.
1: So the parent was actually kind of reinforcing the child's behavior.
0: Well, the, the parent, the parent was scared, not, you know, not allowing their child, their teen to go out in in public, you know? So a lot of the parents were just like very resistant on having their child or their teen go out.
1: Yeah, and I fell for. That. I'd say last year, at the right in the middle of the election, everything the world was just a little, little bit crazier, and it was like it's just so easy to sit home. And like play a video game. So easy to put on Netflix. How do you convince a 15 year old kid to be like, this is not good for your future? Because in the moment, it I mean, feels amazing, right? It's like giving yeah. me all the gratification. I'm leveling up this or that. How did you get them through that? Is it more just weaning them off this and be like this? You may not see it now, but you know, yeah.
0: what, what ha- what happens is what happened was they became addicted to it. So I would slowly have to titrate. It's almost like, I'm like when you're getting off a drug. You slowly have to titrate off of the drug, so it's like okay, we would uh, we would count up how many hours a day that they would be doing this. We'd scale back the hours, we scale about the amount of times that they're face they're doing this, the video gaming, and we really have to like titrate them and wean them off the devices. And what I would start ended up doing is having them become having more of a, a stricter into their routine. I would have them have a routine. What time are you waking up in the morning? What are you doing in the morning? What are you doing in the afternoon? What What do you have to do for homework? I mean, I, w- I would do a session with my teen, and then I would do a check in in the in the after, toward the end of the week, with my teen. So I'd be t- checking in with them because they were the they were the ones that I was really worried about.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to to talk to you about the, like like this best care you know, the rituals for yourself and particularly for kids, how do you, make a motivate. child yeah how do you motivate them to become that best version of themselves and and continue mm-hmm. and like you know are they even in that because i feel like for me the this mm-hmm. self-development has become the best version of myself thing happened later in life are they are some of these kids understanding like oh, okay this kind of makes sense is it not I, yeah because it makes me feel no, better they're not something.
0: they're not really understanding at 15 16 years old how to be the best version of themselves they're just mm-hmm. trying to th- take it day by day when you're like 20s and 30s then you really start to really start developing that sense of wanting to be the best version of yourself, especially when in your thirties, you really start to really thrive on that um, mentality. Um, But um, my teens aren't really getting that as much. They're just trying to to live life as a teenager and whatever that looks like for them is what that looks like for them, you know, but motivating them was very challenging, getting them out of bed, very challenging. I mean, these are things that I was, you know, pulling teeth with.
1: Really. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. man. Now, like, do you even call it rituals to them? Like, is it, is it just about getting them to kind of be in a mode of doing good things without them kind of realizing? Like, start off your day at this time, and then do this X, Y, Z. But it's
0: like it's like you need you need the structure. You can't you can't have this much idle time on your hands. You need you need to have a structure. Anybody that has a structured week and maybe a little bit less structured weekend, you're, you're, you're good. Whether you're not, you're a teen, a 20 year old, an adult, having that structure, having t- things on a timeline, getting things accomplished, getting things done, having your list of things to do. I mean, mm-hmm. that is really, really important. And people don't, don't see that until it really, really starts putting it into practice.
1: Right. And, and even again, I fell for that. I'll just be honest. Like I, I had a lot of momentum going and I feel like keeping that moment, people don't realize like they're, it's really un- undervalued. Like the, the keep, keep going. Like You really can't take a couple of days off because then it's like, okay, then I'll just eat a burger. I'll do this. I won't wake up for the gym. Cause I, I, I found myself being a little out of it. How do you, how do people, how do you suggest somebody keeps up the momentum of staying on your A game? Cause I feel like it's, everybody has ups and downs, right? It's at the stock market. Yeah. But when you're down, I, at least a person like me, who's a little obsessive, tends to like really want to stay there almost. How how do you yeah. get? How do you first? How do you stay there? And then how do you end up getting out of the downtimes?
0: So you you talk about like in the downtimes, like what are you feeling when you're down? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the outcome is not is not a good feeling. So let's you're not you, we, there has to be some type of change that ensues that you get out of this like going down a rabbit hole kind of feeling. So you're not liking the way you feel. Let's change that. Let's do something about that. Let's make let's make some systemic changes that you can start to like the outcome that you're feeling. Like let's let's get out of bed. Let's get out let's start let's start to go for a walk. Let's start to move let's move our body a little bit. Start small. You don't have to be like Rome wasn't built in a day, so consistency is hard to maintain, but when it's broken, you know, you can't just go back to where you were gusto style, you know? You have to like build that momentum up slowly, baby steps, you know, and it's just like slowly just trying to gradually get them there where they're at a point where they're, the momentum is there, the consistency is there. And the, the takeaway is the feel good. Like the outcome is I feel amazing. I feel phenomenal. I want to keep this feeling
1: that that's the leverage.
0: That's the leverage. That Mm -hmm. is the leverage. I want to keep this feeling. How do I keep this from consistently going? you will, you consistently end up having to do, you have to do it. Yeah. There's no, there's no way of escaping it. You have to do the work. And it's, that's the hard time I'm having to really push through for my teens is you gotta do the work. You gotta put in the effort. If you don't, you're not going to have a good outcome. So it's driving that home.
1: Yeah. And I think there, there's two pieces to that, right? Cause there's the, there's the outcome of actually doing the good stuff and then the, the result but then there's also like that little voice in your head that's like you put in a good day's work maybe it helps you sleep better I know for me it does like when I when I bust ass for a day it's like wow you really crushed it maybe you didn't get results that you wanted but there's still like you know you did what you're supposed to do right I feel like that's something with me I, I really think about it's like am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing because you I feel like you always pretty much know when like yeah I'm taking a day off I'm doing right and wrong mm-hmm. um yeah it's very interesting how that whole psyche the psychological piece works
0: yeah yeah. Yeah. But when you, when you put in a good day and you're super productive and you might not have a great outcome, but you, you jam it in, you're, you're jamming it in that you, you sleep better, you eat better, you, you feel better. I mean, all that's kind of aligned with each other. And that's, that's the takeaway is, you know, I, I, I do feel good, even though I didn't get the absolute outcome that I was wanting. Mm.
1: Yeah. Like today, like today I've been up since four 30. I had like one of those classics, Scott, that's crushed it. I'm crushing it at work. I'm going to do some work after this. It's like, wow, this is a good day. I'm like, I just got to do this every day. But me, I, I kind of, I think I was pushing it too hard. You know, like I yeah. was trying to squeeze in everything. Like, how do you find people balancing? Cause you're a doer. You're like me, right? I know your schedule's busy. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you taking like a day off during the week? Or are you just calming down? Like on Sundays? Like, are you, when do you take your, your foot off the gas?
0: So I, I typically, what I do is Monday through Thursday, I jam-pack my Thursday. days. Monday through Thursday, I jam-pack my days with my clientele. From 9 a.m., I start to 9 p.m., Monday through Thursday. Friday is a little bit more of a less structured day. I don't see as many clients. I do interviews like this. I promote um, I do what I need to do on Fridays, have a little bit more flex on a Friday. Mm-hmm. The weekends is a little bit m- more flex, a little bit less structured Sundays. I really try to space spend some time with my mother.
1: So you're kind of doing the, 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 system we're talking about for the kids. You're like weaning yourself. You're starting off crazy Monday, Thursday, and you're weaning yourself off the work. And then by yeah. Sunday, you're probably ready to, you're probably doing some scheduling. Okay. What is my, oh
0: yeah. So then- Sunday, I'm, Sunday, I'm ready to go back. Sunday, I'm ready to go back because Sunday, Sunday, I'm just slowly, slowly, I'm like stopping at Sunday, you know, and i that's the, for me coming from an Italian family, that was always like the day of rest. Yeah. Sundays, Sunday dinners were like, that was like a five hour thing. So,
1: (laughs) you know, so
0: I mean, I mean, Sundays were just, you didn't do very much of anything but eat.
1: You know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Sunday's like my one sheet day. I get my, uh-huh. my pasta on Sundays. Like if I don't get my Sunday, there's going to be there's going to be a problem. Well, this, this, <laughs> this this weekend, it's Monday, but that's still I'll take two of those. I'll take two of those. <laughs> now, how did how, this is what I was thinking about? because I was thinking about the kids now. I'm just trying to put myself in the kids shoes. I'm more of an extrovert. A lot of friends like how did kids, the introverts handle this? Did they kind of all my friends that are introverts? They know who's listening. They just really nothing changed. Did, did you see that some kids were like not affected by this at yeah. all?
0: Yes, that's weird. Something, some, some people, some some kids that are introverts didn't didn't really make that much of a difference. Actually, they actually liked it a little bit better, right? Because everyone was doing it, kind of thing. You know, it's like
1: now you are the normal person. <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah. my goodness! Now, from like a, a therapeutic standpoint, like, what has what has been like the biggest. At least change from from more like your clientele standpoint or from just like a pandemic raw is like the the, is there been like a change in people so what's happened
0: so during the pandemic there's been three areas that i've noticed that has systemically been on the increase and um one is substance abuse has been on the increase alcohol use drug use have been on the increase second one is domestic violence has been on the increase and three is suicides. Those three areas have been on the rise during pandemic.
1: Okay. Now, now, first off, let's just mention the. I want to make sure we do a little promo for the book. Please check out Dr. Fennerin's book, Surviving Domestic Abuse: Formal and Informal Supports and Services. The, those three pieces, I know you, I know you. That's kind of part of your work. And these yeah. are things that I'm not too familiar with. Th- thankfully. And I want to first get your perspective of like the psychological, from you looking at it from a psychoanalyst standpoint. Dealing with these things is not easy. And even when I saw that was the work you did, I was like, wow, that must be just heavy stuff to go with. Like, how do you handle dealing with these types of issues? Drug abuse, domestic violence, suicide—those are the heavy ones for me. Drugs, rock and roll all day. But like suicide and, and domestic abuse, how has that changed you as a person? Has it made you more compassionate?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. There there has to be, as a therapist, there has to be a level of like really like innately caring for your clients. There has to be that. There can't be a detached, non-humanistic element. You have to be humanistic. You have to be um, almost rogerian. You have to have um, compassion and almost like this this professional kind of kinship with your clientele. And then as a therapist, if you don't have the skill as a therapist, then you're more or less just in this zone where you're just showing a lot of compassion and validation, but you also need technique as a therapist. You need technique and strategy to give the clientele and homework. I give tons of homework for clients to do outside the scope of the session. So, I mean, that's really, really important to kind of like have that combination in a therapist where there's unconditional positive regard for their clients, but yet there's also things that we're working on goals. We're trying to attain milestones. We're trying to get to. You got to hold them accountable. Yes, absolutely. Visions. We're trying to uh, sustain. Yes.
1: Very, very cool. Now, now to to move this to this domestic abuse piece, this is I'm lucky to never be involved in any of this stuff. I mean, maybe we'll talk about it. But like the, the domestic abuse, does does emotional abuse count in this era that you're talking about? You are talking about physical abuse. No, I'm does,
0: talking about emotional, emotional, mental physical and sexual abuse, absolute and financial abuse. There's all kinds of different types of abuses that go on in a domestic violence relationship.
1: Oh man, this is, heavy. yeah. If I was still married, I would have lost my mind. honest. I can't imagine people that are, cause I'm sure there's some, obviously not everybody's super happy. Is that, right. is, is, was COVID a breaking point for people? Yes. Like I this mean- is, It seems like it, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what, what was going on was like uh, now, now coming clear out of COVID what's happening is there's a lot of people like really questioning their relationships, really thinking about divorcing their partnerships, breaking up their families, you know, because of, of being in such close quarters for so long with each other. Um, it leaves a person kind of like, if you're in an unhealthy dynamic, you kind of like want to rip your hair out kind of thing, you know? Um, so it, there's a lot of that happening. I, I personally feel like the aftermath of the pandemic, you will see a lot of kind of like divorces, broken homes, a lot of lawyers being employed um, highly from the situation.
1: Oh man. Now, and, and the domestic abuse, is it like is a male to a female more physical than emotional? Is there one theme that you see? Cause I, I'm not, even going to pretend like I know this, I do know in my marriage, there's definitely emotional abuse from my ex-wife and from my end, just more, you know, fighting, I would say, mm-hmm. but like what technically categorizes as this emotional abuse. And obviously physical goes without saying, but emotional, financial abuse. You say, like, how does that look to, to, to somebody?
0: So with, with emotional abuse, there's a lot of there, there could be a lot of degrading, diminishing name, calling, ridiculing, putting down, um, put downs, um, love it may be like immense amount of screaming, cursing at the person to the person. Um, just a lot of intense emotionality, anything really, really extremely rageful or heightened is really not really, um, healthy to be around as, as a child a teen, or even as a partner.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what, what you're saying reminds me of my marriage. Every time I come home, I used to, I was getting sick from coming home. Cause there would always be something I did wrong. I felt like I was going backwards. I was like, I feel like I'm, I have a parent. Like it was very odd. And I would rather be hit than fucking than be told, you know, what to do wrong. You know, well,
0: that's what a lot of people say that, you know, with the physical abuse, it's the emotional abuse. That's really the, the killer, you know, because mm-hmm. the physical abuse is, is physical. And then you, you get hurt. And then that kind of heals but the emotional views i mean when some when you say something words like lash and they hurt Mm. and they sting and it's once it's out there and it's said you can't take it away so um that stings more from a lot of people's standpoint than the physical um escalation
1: how is is there a, a point on the emotional side where is it is there any point where you can really resolve the actual relationship after a person hits that point where it's like, listen, you just treat, except for me, I'm like a big respect guy. And once you disrespect me a certain way, I'm like, I'm done. Is there a, is there a threshold to that? And and how does, do people resolve that emotional um, conflict?
0: Well, I, I mean, there is a tolerance. Obviously there's a tolerance level that everyone has, you know? And so being, being, a, being, uh, a, uh, a, recognizing that is going to be really important
1: Mm -hmm. recognizing
0: where your tolerance level is. Um, Just as long as, you know, if I have a a couple that are checked out, I really work hard to see and assess if I can check them back into the relationship. And that means that we may be doing some healing. We may be doing, having to do some forgiveness, some apologies, some, you know, accountability, accountability, about what you've done to hurt your other your partner and really take that into account in order to build the foundations for relationships is communication and trust and really having that foundation be solidified.
1: And I'm sure even in that let's say somebody's not getting emotionally abused or something, because for me in my marriage, it seemed that there were things that I was doing because I was upset, like gambling. I was, I, became, I started, just started gambling because I wanted to feel something. Is that what you're seeing on, on with, with some people too? Like there's just things that – there's bad habits that are being created from a relationship that are like there's something going on there?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean obviously if you have a person that um, is – people bring out certain things in you. Yeah. No, it's like I have my one friend, I'm not the same with one friend that I am with another friend. So people bring out certain things in you. And if your partner is bringing out the worst in you, then that becomes that, that essentially becomes kind of like your character almost, you know? Um, so then you have to really work on undoing all of that and maybe even separating from your partner to see how that's manifesting and really like undo that, those character traits to really see that I am not, I am not a good person when I'm with this person. There's something about this person that's bringing out the worst in me and figuring out what that is, is challenging. Figuring out what that is. A lot of my, my, my victims or survivors that I interviewed. They, they did their own type of research. They researched on the internet. They researched on, um, books that they've read to figure out what this was. They, they knew something was wrong. They didn't really categorize it as abuse or didn't really realize it was abusive dynamic.
1: Mm, yeah. I feel like I w- people always run into trouble when there's like right and wrong. Like I'm right, you're wrong. The way I look at life is like, we're just both trying to figure it out and like yeah. learn from each other, become the best version of yourself. And when somebody's trying to You know, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this right. This is, you know, this is the way it should be done. It's just too much. I'm a big control. Like I don't want to be controlled. I just want to kind of trust, trust me to do, you know, whatever we got to do here to be together. Right. And that, that I just always see that with, with, I think it's a, maybe a New York Italian thing too. Like my mother's right and wrong. There's right. Most of the time things are in the gray area. Right.
0: Yes. 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 And particularly relationships, particularly Mm -hmm. relationships. A lot of people that are in a right and wrong kind of black or white you know, good or bad in a relationship never really works out because there's so many shades of gray when we're talking about relationships, so many shades of gray. And that's something that we really have to hone in on because when we start seeing this versus that and almost having like a tit for tat, excuse my language, but like a pissing contest with your partner, it becomes very tumultuous and very unhealthy, very fast.
1: Yeah. And I try to, um, I try to stay away from tit for tat in relationships where it's like you are Michelle, you have certain needs and things that you want out of a relationship. I'm Scott. I have certain things I need and want. It's not so much a tit for tat. It's what do you want? What could I give you? And where can we compromise on things that maybe we disagree on? Uh, that's, right.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Now, how, how are the kids? Do you, do you see the kids of these, um, of the, the yeah. couples that are fighting? Have you had to do that? How do they like how do you how do they get affected? Because now you have a double, right? You have the yeah. you have COVID, yeah. and you have your parents. If there's abuse, if they hear it, I, I don't. I can't even imagine that.
0: I, I mean, there was a study done a long time ago, a very very long time ago, down in California. That when they were when 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 adults were arguing in a room with toddlers, you know they did they did one experiment when the adults were getting along. And they were talking nicely to each other. The kids were kind of playing, kind of nicely with each other. And the, then there's, there's another scenario where the adults were in the same room with the toddlers, and they started to elevate their voice a little bit. They started to raise their voice more. They started to yell at each other a little bit more. And the kids became the toddlers, two, three, became very much in distress. And they started to the the boys started to lash out physically on the little girl and you saw the distress and the discomfort that these little kids had just for the mere fact of raising their voice, Mm. the adults raising their voice. You know what I'm saying? So just any type of like, any type of uh, couples need to argue outside the scope of the house in a room where it's not an earshot and there can't be like immense amount of like screaming or hollering where the whole neighborhood's up and is hearing this is then your kids are going to definitely are affected by this. Gotcha.
1: Wow. It's just Very... like
0: insane. Yeah.
1: It, the, the last thing I want to talk to you about is I I've seen it with now call. Well, it's more psychological. It's a little bit of stuff I've been working on. There's something that, um, that Carl Jung called it the progressive restoration of the persona, which is basically, in, you know, it, it's going back to bad habits of being, and I'm more talking personally for myself, I was this person before COVID, I, I liked who I became during it, right? I do my podcast, I'm on positivity. And then as life becomes more integrated, and become back to normal, I feel like this old Scott, this, you know, this, you know, needs uh, security and wants to show off and this and that, this person is coming out again. Have you seen that with your clients? And how did you suggest that I could walk my way, work my way through this process of like, really, this is this was the old Scott, this is the new Scott, we're going to put them together. How does how would you suggest that I get myself through that one?
0: So I mean, I think it's, it's a matter of like, knowing where you were, Mm-hmm. Knowing where you are and knowing where you want to be.
1: Want to go. It's,
0: just, it's like this, it's tra- you're like traveling within yourself. It's almost like a walk with self. Mm. You know, you're walking with yourself. How you were five years ago, Scott, it's not how you are today. It's not how you are today. We're, we're people of flux. We're people that are constantly changing. The mere fact to try to keep up with ourselves is a task. Just to keep up with the changes that we're making. So where you were to where you are, knowing where you are in the here and now, how you are in the here and now, and creating a vision of who you want to be futuristically and how to get from point A to point B is almost like a law of attraction, if you will, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That's what we're made for, right? The reticular activating system, you have to... Aim at the goal, and I love that. And I think for me it was easy because I was on the up. The problem for me is when I hit that down, it's like, oh, yes. well, now you're a piece of garbage. Nothing matters. It's like no, it's like the market, right? It's going to come back up. I just have to. I think you just have to remember, keep reminding yourself that and like it, work. It's it, also, work it's like also
0: this positive self talk. Like you know, we 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 do a very good job of being our own self critic, and we do a good job of berating ourselves and being very critical oh, yeah. about ourselves. So that can't that can't have we can't have that type of dialogue. We don't have it with our partner. Why would we have it with ourselves? So it's like really conceptualizing the treatment and the words and the narrative that you tell yourself as a person, that's really important. And if you're going to berate yourself and if you're going to abuse yourself, yeah, you're going to stay down. You will stay down. So it's a matter of like building yourself up, having that positive reinforcement, those positive self-talk, being your own cheerleader, boosting yourself up when you need it. I mean, that's really, really like incentivized and very important for just for your own self morale.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, I probably have not been doing that too well. Cause you know, you know, the comedy thing, we were doing great. I was just trekking along. We were crushing it five. Or six, and then all of a sudden I had one bad show and it's just like, Oh, I'm back yeah. to being, and it's almost like everything you do, you just kind of negate it. And it's like, you're back to square one. It's like, that's not really the case. That's what I'm kind of realizing this week. It's no, not the case. Have, it's part of the,
0: not, you have not regressed yeah. all the way back. You just, you're just maybe have had a moment.
1: Yeah. So exactly. it's, not
0: a, it's not a regression. It's just a moment. Mm. You know. Very and I think, I think that when you think that, okay, I'm back to square one, that's when you start to lose momentum. You yep. start to lose that mode of and you start to lose the incentive. You know, very
1: true. Dr. Yeah. Michelle, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the little pep talk here at the end. You're always welcome <laughs> back on Dr. Michelle. Thank Seriously, please come so back much. on. I love, I All love right. what you're doing. I love the work. Um, everybody check out the book. It's going to be down in the notes All everything on, on uh, Dr. Michelle will be in the notes below. Seriously. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. And
1: happy 4th of July to you. Happy 4th, everybody. Um, Thank you guys so much for all the support. Let's just keep doing it. Um, Smash the like button, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, Continue to help the Causing Effect community. Uh, As always, stay safe, stay positive, stay blessed. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.